I really like this question because um, this year I've been thinking a lot about like the reality of this. Um, and uh, it, I actually, this week, had a friend post a picture that I think really kind of encompassed this. As I, as I read the story over and over and over many years, read the Christmas story, I often don't just like sit in it. I mean, I know this story, we like get through it. As a kid, you get through it so you can like open presents. Um, but I was just thinking of all the things that happened just with Mary and Joseph and how, how that would have felt. Uh, there have been a lot, of, a lot of emotions. And a friend this week uh, didn't post this picture, but this is a classic, right? The, the plastic uh, nativity. These are awesome. This is like a full set. This person has the full, full on set. You can't always find the wise men. They posted this the other, a few days ago when we had lots of winds and storms. They came outside in their yard and found this, <laughs> which I love. I, uh, I love this because I think this picture maybe illustrates a little better what Mary and Joseph might have been feeling. Uh, kind of funny, but kind of true. Can you imagine all of that happened? You're told you're, you're pregnant and you don't know how that happened and, you, and then you're told you, the, the woman you're engaged to is pregnant but you need to be with her because she's having the Messiah. God's coming as a baby to save the world. Just that alone would make me maybe feel a little tipped over, a little disheveled. And then you get to go to Bethlehem. You have to, because there's a census, you have to go back to this place your family's from and there's people everywhere and it's probably a little chaotic and loud. And then there's nowhere to stay. There's not enough room or maybe they're not sure about you because... You're not married, but you have a child. And so you end up staying in, just, just, let, just going somewhere and having to stay in a barn where animals live, that alone would, would do this to me. And then while you're there, you have a child. So I've never had a child, but I assume that also uh, makes you feel kind of like this. Um, and then that child, you're still just in a dirty barn with like animals and stuff that animals leave and hay and dirt. I mean, all of this just would kind of be messy and stressful and the amount of anxiety and chaos and all of that, I think feels a little bit, would feel a little bit like this. So today we want to take an opportunity to look at this story, I think, and the great, the good, good news that comes out of this Christmas story that we just heard uh, read to us. Uh, and we heard a story about and we heard sung about. Um, we're in a series just for a few weeks here that we're calling a White Elephant Christmas. It's a series where we're uh, recognizing kind of the messiness, the, the blown over nativity that happens, that we expect a gift often. We're looking for something, something promised to us, and then we open it. And at this time of year or all the time, we don't really get what we hope for. And so if you've ever been part of a White Elephant Exchange, it's where you exchange two gifts, exchange gifts with someone, and often it's something random that you found at your house. It's uh, often like a funny, weird, ironic, or just junk that people are trying to get rid of. That's why we're doing one today. It kind of fits in with what we're doing. And I haven't had the joy this month of getting rid of some things from my home uh, and giving them to some of you. And so actually, I'm going to invite Drew up here. How often do you get two Drews on stage? Not very often. This is my friend Drew Geneiser. Um, and uh, yeah, give, I like this. I like that we applaud every week for people. I have a gift for you. 
Um, first, I've been asking every week people what they hope that would be. Just shake a little bit. Any hopes? Just, you're just open. You're ready. Yeah, I don't think you would guess it, but I'm very excited to give this to you, though. Oh, it's not. It's I don't know what the box is. Oh, it's not. It's not what's in the box. Oh, that would be sparkling water. That'd be nice. That's it. That's all. <laughs> I just thought maybe you should cut out the soda a little bit, buddy. <laughs> this is a. Pr- you couldn't rip them open. You save the paper or whatever. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, we don't have time for therapy right now, but we oh, could. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> we should talk later, though. I gave you a classic movie, a VHS of Babe the Pig. Now, I gave this to you because I think these are funny, because people don't even know what these are. Um, I was actually at Savers recently, and a kid was like, what are these? He's holding up. This is why I gave it to you. The back of this has the greatest review of a movie of all time. This is the Citizen Kane of talking pig pictures. This is the whole reason I got this. That's the greatest. The gift, really. Thank you. I love you, man. Did I give you a hug? Oh, I love you, man. All right. Well, you take that home. That's all yours. You rip all the packages you want, Drew. You rip all the ones. Is that the greatest review? It's from like a guy at the, I don't know the Chicago Daily Herald is, but what? And then it got printed on the package. And I agree, it is the Citizen Kane of talking pig pictures. So we're hoping to spend just a little bit of time here together today uh, thinking about what, what does this look like? What are these things we're promised? And what is the good promise of God? And so I'm actually just going to take five promises, false promises, things that I believe or maybe I hear a lot. I think around maybe just our culture is telling us things around me or telling me or maybe I just internally believe this. Uh, or I just want to believe this promise, and then tell you what God's promise is, which is just really good news. Um, and so my hope today is we get that chance. I'm actually going to use, um, a few years ago, some people from Hope created a devotional. You can find that actually on our app or on our website. We have a lot, all of our resources, things that we create here at Hope. Um, and there's like, this devotional's on there, and I've been actually reading through this this year because it's just been good for my soul. And um, this one called The Gospel is Better, uh, a, a lot of our staff and people here at Hope have created these. So I'm actually going to, we're going to quote some of our own Hopesters today. Uh, as we look through just five, I'm just picking five of these promises out. Uh, and how good, like Christmas reminds us that there's a better promise. That's God's promise. So our first one uh, is what I'm calling the control promise. And this might be something that you'd uh, say or, or think. If I'm able to get mastery over my life in the area of blank, I'll be okay. If I can just figure this out, if I can find a way to get this good at this thing, then I'll be okay. I feel this at Christmas, often just in the schedule. If I can make everything work, if, if I can just even like attend most of the Christmas parties or have the magical thing happen, or if every night to make sure my family or friends, we do something you know, we, we bake something or we watch the right movie or we play the right game or we go see the lights. Like how do we pack the most things in? If I can control all of that, then everything will be okay. And, and, and often I don't find this promise actually is fulfilled. Uh, I can't, or even if I feel like I master an area, the next thing feels like I very much am not in control. And so the good promise, the good news we have 
at Christmas is that Christ came. And just in this story, we're just going to look at this, this story that we read, that our friends read to us right up here. Uh, just in the Christmas story, we're told that this false promise of control, that if I have control, everything will be okay. We're told that God is in control, and that's good news. We hear this just in one little part here in Luke 2. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he longed, belonged to the house and line of David. This might seem like uh, part of the story that you're like, there's some names of places. That's cool. <laughs> and he had to go there, uh, and he belonged to that house. Maybe like, okay, let's get to the part of the story like that's important where Jesus is born. This is an incredible part of the story. This tells us so many things. Way, way back, so many years before this, God spoke through prophets and said, hey, there's going to be a Savior who's going to come rescue His people. This new King is going to come and He's going to save us. And He's going to come to us uh, through the line of David in the city of Bethlehem. So this reminds us that God is in control. There's so many things that do in Scripture. But just this, as you read this, we could quickly get through this to get to the part where the baby is in a manger. But this alone, just, just this passage, tells us God had a plan and He knew what He was doing and He did it. This is insane that He even knew in a certain town, in a certain lineage of people, He did it. And just that we understand and can believe God is in control, let alone the fact that He's come to rescue us in a way we never could have done. And we hear from Jordan Anderson, uh, one of our hopesters, actually is leading us in, in worship today. He says, the Gospel says that not, o- not only is control or sovereignty, that's a big church word for that, control, something that only God truly possesses, possesses, but that the allure of achieving mastery is just a veiled but sinful attempt to gain our own righteousness or even more so. A belief that we ultimately know better than God. Here he's saying, he's saying, us needing to have control and not allowing God to, in a way, even if we don't, aren't aware of it, we, we can be saying, ultimately, we know better than God. That very fact that we are in need of a Savior because of our fallen condition, that we can't do it on our own, flies in the face of this idol. We gain a better, true, abundant life when we yield control to Him who is truly in control and abide in His promises of mercy love, justice, and forgiveness found only in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jordan here is reminding us, not only is God in control, but actually saying yes to that, yes to Jesus, God, I I believe that and and I want you to be in control, is actually really good news. It brings abundant life. For us, being in control does not bring that. All right, on to our next promise. Um, this can be called the inner ring promise. That language comes originally from C.S. Lewis, um, but Pastor John Neal, um, who is a pastor at our downtown location, also just kind of helps oversee lots of things at all of our locations as an executive pastor. Uh, he, he wrote a lot about this, and he called this the inner ring promise. It's one where you could say, I'll be okay when a particular social group or professional group or any other group lets me in. Or maybe that group makes me feel superior or better. So if I can just be in this group or at least feel like I'm part of the better group, the smarter group, then everything's okay. Right? This happens at, it's kind of sneaky at the holidays. I love these pictures. I don't know if you've seen these people post these. It's often like the people with kids, 
They're about to have kids, the grandparents, and then the one like single sibling <laughs> just by themselves. This is so good. I love the alliteration. Emily, she's just there by herself. At least she have a dog with her. I think she even has a dog. Oh, that's sweet. At least she has a dog. Right? This happens like it's kind of sneaky at the holiday. This even happens in our church where we, where we uh, think like things that are really good, we kind of elevate to as if it's a group. And we believe this promise, like if I'm just in this group, if I'm in the group, like, okay, I, I found a mate that would marry me. I, I convinced a person to marry me and now we've created kids. And, and somehow, even without wanting to, we can make that a thing that makes us feel better or superior. Even if we have like some greater wisdom in all things because of that, which now then makes Emily feel like, oh, okay, Emily, when are you going to get married, Emily? You're going to have kids? Is your dog your kid? And so we can, can do that easily. That promise does that. And then we see that not happening, right? That's just in a little maybe Christmas family moment. We find ourselves just being, not, not just judging, right? Not just seeing if people are good or bad, but, but we're doing that to make ourselves feel like we're better, right? In, in, a, in a bigger, broader sense, right? We see this in really terrible ways, even in the church, right? That we see certain people are better or, or less than or, or we're better. So this is a false promise. This isn't true, right? The gospel says this isn't true. And even in the Christmas story, we hear this isn't true. In Luke 2, 9 through 10, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. This is when the angel comes to the shepherds. And the angels say that they're terrified. And it says, Don't be afraid. I have good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. In the announcement to the shepherds, they don't say there was a baby born, it's the Savior. It actually says, I have good news. It's news that's going to bring joy, this like soul-satisfying joy to all people. It's not, hey, just to the Jewish people or just to the people that know Jesus, like the people that happen to hang out with Him. This is joy that can go to all people. And so the promise that I am better or even that maybe other people feel like they're better than me or there's any division that is, is torn down. And even in the Christmas story, we're reminded that the gospel is for all people. John says it, uh, John Neal says it like this. He says, The gospel levels us all to our created state as humanity and highlights our inability to gain acceptance by our own status or ability. Instead, our longing to be included is ultimately fulfilled in the realization that God chose us. That, that longing in you, that I want to be a part of something, I want to be part of a group, I want that, that to be special, it is actually okay, but it's fulfilled in Christ who makes all of us a part of His family. It's ultimately fulfilled in the realization that God chose us. We are now part of a new group where our true identity lies. That is what unifies us and allows us to see past the multitude of differences we possess and say, brother, sister. Jesus coming in the manger reminds us that we are all called, all people, to be a part of God's family. Of course, Shemaleski, our, our downtown um, pastor who leads our downtown location, says this way, created, equally, uh, created equal by the same God, saved through the same Christ and given equal access by the same Spirit. For all of our differences, which you should celebrate rather than denigrate, we are one in Him. That's something to celebrate this Christmas.
Something does bring us together, and it's Christ, not what we've done or who we are, what we look like. So we get an opportunity at Christmas time not to figure out how to divide ourselves, not even to, to segregate ourselves within even a family gathering of like, I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe they, they still do that. I can't believe they said that. But what does it look like to, to gather together all unified? All right, the next promise is a comfort promise. As long as I'm comfortable, I'm not suffering, I'm okay. And I think sometimes for me this sneaks in. Not only when I'm comfortable, am I okay, but being comfortable is how I know God is okay with me. If I was suffering or not doing well, then God must be angry with me. And so uh, I need to find comfort so that I can believe God's happy with me. And also it just feels better, right? This is a, a, a thing that we often feel, right? That I just need to be relaxed, maybe have a tasty treat with me. What can make me feel good? And if I can just feel that, everything will be okay. Which makes us shy away from moments of awkwardness, of moments of maybe conflict or distress, moments where somebody might be maybe not in the greatest place, maybe not be the most fun to hang out with. So I run from that because because the promise I'm believing is that as long as I'm comfortable, everything's okay, and God is happy with me. And so I move away from the crying kid, or maybe the, the awkward uncle, or any type of suffering. I move to anything that would make me feel better in the moment. It's not true. God has a better promise for us. In fact, He has a promise that we can have joy, like deep, soul-satisfying joy, even while we're suffering. We can be uncomfortable and find joy. This is all over this story. This story is a story of suffering and being uncomfortable and finding great joy. Just listen to this little part in Luke 2, 4-7. through So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. We already heard that, right? But just think of what that just said. That just said they traveled many miles not in a car, right? Maybe there was a donkey that Mary got to ride. They walked. They're feeling dirty. They're tired. They're exhausted. They might be thirsty. It's very uncomfortable. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. That might not physically be exhausting, but he's having to think through and work through the emotions, and Mary's working through the emotions of being pregnant, they're not married, what are people thinking, how are they feeling, we're about to have a kid, and that kid is supposed to be God? What? Like that, all of that. So not only physically, but emotionally, how are we feeling, how, what are we thinking? That is tiring, that is uncomfortable. While they're there, the time came for a baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Not comfortable. I've never heard anyone say when I went to see the baby, hey, you had a child, how cool, I'm holding him. How is it? Very comfortable. It was very comfortable. Sometimes they might say, they've made me comfortable here, but you could hear it in the voice like, I'm very uncomfortable. They've made me a slightly more comfortable or, le or suffer less, right? Just giving birth. She's giving birth. A, a, a painful, painful thing. All, again, all that comes, all this suffering that's happening, she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there's no room 
available for them. Now we're not even just talking about physically, emotionally, all these, all this pain, this suffering that's happening, but also now they just, they are in a manger. They're putting their child in a bed that is, is made for animals to eat in. As a parent, I, I wouldn't want that. I'd say, oh, this is great. I, I wish I could have more for him. Even just the pain that you feel when you just wish there was something different or better for your kid. Now you're just dealing with just the uncomfortableness of, of smells in that barn and dirtiness in that barn. I say all that, right? There's suffering in this story. And there's, it's very uncomfortable. Listen to how this story kind of ends. This, I love this passage in Luke 2.19. This, this is when it all kind of comes to the end, right? We're tired, sweaty, we're dirty, we're exhausted, we're thinking about lots, we're feeling lots. And then it says, but Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. In the midst of all of that, there's a moment where Mary just takes it in. Jesus has come to rescue us. I just gave birth to the one who's going to save his people and finally be a true and good king. She just takes a moment to find this, this joy in treasuring all of that, even in the midst of everything. Brian Silver, he's our pastor at our Lower Town location, says this, he says, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of everything, gave everything, even his own life, so that we could have life. Abundant life, eternal life, a satisfying life. Nowhere does the Bible say our lives will be comfortable. In fact, it says just the opposite. He quotes all of First Peter. <laughs> I've never seen a Bible quote like that before. He's like, just read the whole book. He gave so we could live, and now we have been commissioned to live in a way that proclaims him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. And that is not comfortable. True. True, but there's great joy in that day. All right, got a couple left here. We got a relational promise that I can find my joy maybe in my children, if everything's right with them, or maybe everything's right with my parents, and if, if everyone is just happy and happy with me. So this is one that I feel, I really feel this one at holidays. When I'm, in, when I'm in a room and everyone's like doing their thing and you can tell there's like conflict over here, there's two people like whisper f- arguing, you know, how they did it so like no one knows, but we all know they're arguing. <laughs> or they're in the other room and you can hear the arguing because one of them storms out. Like, Everything's okay. Like, there's no way. I just want everyone to be happy with me and just even with each other. And so we, we dream of like a, a moment where can everything just be perfect, right? The moment where we take the photo and everyone looks happy. Just at least that moment. Because you know right after that, someone's not thrilled. A kid had to be bribed to smile in the photo. And it just doesn't work, right? Sometimes there's just unhappiness. I love this photo. I love this photo. If it wasn't for the guy in the background, it wouldn't be nearly as awesome. <laughs> the guy's like, I don't want to be in the photo. I'm going to drink my Pabst Blue Ribbon and just hang out in the back. So this promise that, that if relationships are right, I'll be okay. God will be okay. Everything will be okay. Just breaks, right? You don't have to live very long and you feel this break. And so Luke 2 reminds us of this. Great truth that, that we have a relationship with God or how messed up that gets and that God loves you. 
I know that's, that's a phrase you hear over and over. Like, God loves you when you're, when you're a kid, you're in Sunday school every other week. That's the thing that comes out of it, right? Hey, God loves me. How important, though, to remember that. God loves you. He moves towards you and loves you. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all people. Right? You've heard this. Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. The angels are talking to the shepherds. And, and what is he reminding them? God did what he said. He loves you so much that he did it. He sent his son who would one day go and die on a cross so you wouldn't die. He loves you that much. His relationship with you is that solid. At least from his end, he's not leaving. He's with you. He loves you. Just in the Christmas story alone, we are reminded of this, that Jesus did come, that he moved towards us to continue relationship with us. Um, our very own Olivia Disselkamp um, uh, says this. This has been so encouraging to me. The gospel speaks a better word. It reminds us that nothing will satisfy the deep emptiness in our hearts. Not getting the super mom or perfect son awards. Not any other approval granted by others, despite our best, best efforts. Fullness of life can, come only, can only be found in Christ and make everything but the gospel central in our relationships diminishes our opportunity to grow in our understanding of this truth with those around us. Humility, grace, and love all come in recognizing our imperfections and leading into Christ. When our, when our greatest hope is a, being a perfect son or daughter or a perfect parent or having a perfect relationship, it, it, won't, it won't satisfy. But when we can lean into Jesus even in our perfections, we'll be satisfied. All right, friends, we're down to the last, last few here. I call this the I got this promise. I'm okay if everything looks good, looks shiny, it looks put together. God helps those who are cleaned up who work hard. As long as my house looks like this. We laugh, right? I assume no one's house looks like this. This probably isn't even actually someone's house. It, right? But it, all the time we feel this, but maybe at Christmas specifically, I feel this, uh, like I want it to just look right. I, I want to make sure when I do take a picture that I have it like framed, like you see the stockings and you see the tree and the lights are right. There's something about things being cleaned up and just right. That the story, even the story of our life, the story of our day or maybe our week, makes it, makes it look really polished, really good. I typed in the perfect Christmas. And I found, thankfully, I found a Hallmark movie. I believe you type anything with the word Christmas, probably a Hallmark movie comes up. You, you got to hear this story. This movie is called The Perfect Christmas Present. And it's going to bring a tear to your eye. You'll never, you'll never believe the way this one ends. <laughs> Let me read you just a little snippet of this movie, The Perfect Christmas Present. In The Perfect Christmas Present movie, every Christmas... A professional Santa named Tom helps his clients have the perfect Christmas by helping them find the perfect gift. They can't use that word perfect enough. Earning him the name Mr. Christmas in the town he lives in, which I believe is a small town in Vermont. <laughs> Though he typically avoids working for people that he knows, a former fraternity brother, Paul, I'm not sure why he had to be a fraternity brother, 
asked him to find the perfect present for his girlfriend because he didn't know how to find her a present. See where this is going? I think you already see it. So Tom and Paul and Jenny all begin to hang out because Tom, the perfect Santa, needs to help his friend find the perfect gift for his soon-to-be actually fiancé. Now Tom and Jenny spend many hours together because Paul doesn't have any time with his busy work to spend with her. This is plot amazing. Guess what? Tom and Jenny start to fall in love. Oh no. I can't believe it. At Paul's request, Tom joins them for many dinners to learn about his fiance so that he could buy her a gift. Isn't that, could you imagine inviting a friend? Hey, can you come learn about my uh, wife so that you could buy her a present for me? Maybe you just hang out with her and get to her. So if you, as you imagine, the story continues, and eventually Paul leaves Jenny, and Tom and Jenny realize on a pizza crawl, don't know why that's, in, why that's there, but that's in, in the facts, they're swept up in their emotions and realize on a pizza crawl, that they are each other's perfect Christmas present. Yeah. Oh, don't, don't applaud that. Don't applaud that. Oh. Unbelievable, right? Not actually, right? We've all seen the... This, though, I think we, want, we love this, right? Even though I, if I somehow stumbled into a living room on a holiday and the TV was on and I was like, well... There's cookies, I guess I'll watch whatever this is. I still would tear up because there's something in me that wants that, all that stuff to come together. We're told though, which I think is incredibly good news, because this just discourages me, because it never, it never ends up this way. This promise doesn't end this way. We're told that Jesus enters right into our mess. He's not waiting for me to have the right tree up and the right decorations. He's not waiting for me to have the right present or hire the right Santa to bring the present. He's not looking for any of us to clean up. Now look what we see here in, just in this part of the story in Luke 2, 7-9. She wrapped him in clothes and placed them in a manger because there's no room for them available for them. He, he comes to a couple in a barn and they, they lay him in a feeding trough. That's pretty messy. That's not ideal. He's the king Who's going who's gonna to save the world? He's the king of kings. He should have a throne and a, and a golden bed and a golden stroller and a golden car seat, right? He's in a manger and there are shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. These are shepherds. These are the people who are quite low on the, uh, on the rungs of, of culture, right? These aren't people who go like, hey, those guys know what's going on. They're really important. They're really wise. If someone important is coming to town, make sure the shepherds get to hang out with them. They're at night. These are the night shift shepherds. And they come to them and say, hey, messy shepherds. The ones people don't like to even hang out with necessarily. I want you to be the first to come see this guy. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. And then they say, come, great joy is going to come. So our God comes to shepherds who smell like sheep, who sleep out on the ground in a barn with hay where they had to make room and push aside animal droppings to have a child. He comes right into that place. 
to rescue his people, not because they've cleaned up, but because he comes right into our mess. What good news. Davis Johnson, one of our pastors uh, at our downtown location, says, praise God that he didn't and still doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves, but instead sends his son to free us from the crushing burden of trying to accomplish lasting life and significance apart from him. The crushing burden of trying to accomplish lasting life without him. Jesus set us free from the original enslaving lie of the serpent that we could live apart from God. By dying our death, he saves us from life under law. Law, just the religion, right? Just that we got to follow the rules, do everything right. We don't have to live that life. And by coming back to life, he brings us under his grace so that through him we can actually bear fruit for God. Where religion said and still tries to say, do this and live, the gospel says, behold, it is finished. Believe. When I hear the old familiar voice of the serpent whispering, you should fear you're not doing enough. I'm invited to hear the celebratory chorus of thousands upon thousands of angels saying, rejoice, Jesus paid it all. Or in our Christmas story, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. Angels didn't show up and say, hey, shepherds, you've got to do better. What are you doing? He says, glory to God, He's come and rested His favor on us. And so we're going to take an opportunity to sing together now, and we're going to worship God through, through these great Christmas hymns. We're going to invite our, our worship team back up here. And I, my prayer for us this season, what is the solution to not believing promises that are never fulfilled, but believing God's good promises? I think it's exactly what Mary did. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. What would Christmas look like this year for you to treasure these things in your heart? Treasure Jesus in your heart to say, it's true. God wants me even in my mess. God is in control and it's good. God meets me in my suffering. I can actually find joy in my suffering. Even when relationships are broke around me, I know there's a God who continues to move towards me and loves me. We can treasure those good truths in our hearts. I'm going to pray for us. And we get an opportunity to sing. We're going to sing three songs together. And we have an opportunity here to respond to this good news. We do that here at Hope in a few ways. Uh, you can take communion. We have communion out in the hallways because we, don't, we can't have food or drink in here. We take our communion in the hallways. There's um, cups out there. Feel free to go out there or go as a family and pray together and take communion. It's a way to remember what Christ has done. We also have stickers out there. So if, if you want, it's another way to remember. If you want to stick a sticker on to remember, we also have those for the little ones. So whole family can go together. And even if a little one isn't taking communion, you can still stick a sticker on there to remember this good news. Also, we'll be singing in here together. Um, encourage you to do that. And you can always give as a way to respond as well. Let me pray for us and we'll continue. Lord, thank you for this good news. That you love us, that you've come to us in our mess, that you've rescued us, that you are a good king. I pray as we sing here, uh, we would sing these words, not just because they're familiar Christmas songs, but because they speak this good truth. And we would worship you. We pray this in your good name. Amen.